You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm shaking my booty. I'm JL. I am Mark. I am Simon. And this is most prof- un- nif- nif- This is <laughs> <laughs> most unprofessional. <laughs> this is most unprofessional of me to admit to this, but disaster has struck on so many levels tonight. <laughs> Not that you could tell, dear listener. No, we're working on two microphones. Simon's had a hell of a day. Lee's had a hell of a day and hasn't even managed to get here. I've had a bit of a hell of a week, and Mark's had a hell of a day. And to be honest, if we don't record this now, you're not going to get an episode this weekend, so we apologise in advance. Uh, well, I tell you what, before we go, let's do a quick on the spot. Oh. Because even if we're running on empty and struggling, we've still got to keep it up. So, I'm going to randomly choose Simon, and for the next 60 seconds... No, I'll tell you what, because we are struggling, let's do it for 60 minutes, and that way me and Mark won't need to bother. <laughs> for the next 60 minutes, Simon, uh, death to the Daleks. <gasps> oh, my God. You've picked something that I haven't watched since I've owned the VHS copy. Okay, pass the microphone to Mark. Okay. No, I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, then. I'll talk about the cover. Talk about the cover. Talk about whatever you like. Death to the Daleks has got the best cover ever of any Target novel. Uh, the the image of the exploding Dalek. Um, and from what I remember of the story, probably the cover is better than the story. I'm not sure. I think it was a Terence Sticks novel, if I remember rightly. I remember very vague recollection of the Exelons. Um, pretty ropey. Is it the Exelons? It is. Yeah. You see, I absolutely love that. Really? Yeah. I know the Target book I'm talking about. I found the Target book absolutely petrifying. Really? I really did, yeah. I think it was the second one or the third one I ever bought. Which, let's forget about the 60 seconds because we're almost there and you've not really. Tonight's topic is revisiting, which is basically the Target books and or the repeats. So we're basically there, aren't we? We've started already. Do you remember... We'll get into Death to the Daleks in a minute. Do you remember, Simon, since you're the one holding the microphone, <laughs> do you remember what your first Target book was? How old you were? Oh, dear. Um, it would have been at the local library. I wouldn't have owned it. And it would have been something like Dalek Invasion of the Earth. Right. Very vivid how, memories. Do you, do you know how old you maybe were? 
seven or eight, something like that. What about you, Mark? I think my first one was The Horns of Nyman. Oh. Classic. Great yeah, cover on that one as well. But do you remember how old you were? Uh, probably would have been about seven, something like that. So actually, at the age of seven, you're not going to know that The Horns of Nyman's pretty much just a passable book. Well, no, at that age, I'm sure it was a great work of literature. Well, at that age, it was just a thrilling read, right? Yeah, That's all it. you needed. I mean, because basically, the Target books, they started off expanding on and altering, modifying bits from the TV program to make a slightly better read. But after a couple of years, when the other writers started to drop out and Terence Dix was pretty much doing it all by himself, it just basically turned into just a script with he said and she said pretty much although it was never that bad Terence Dix is too good a writer to ever make it that dull but so all my big memories better memories are of the earlier ones from the first couple of years really and particularly the Malcolm Hulk ones I guess where, where do you remember where you got it from Mark did you say I think at the time my mum was working in the cash office at a big supermarket and they used to sell, they had like a little, one of those little spinning racks with target yeah. bucks on down by the uh, checkout. So I admired my mum into getting me one. Really? Yeah. Was it like a whole rack of all target books? Yeah. Wow. Astonishing. <laughs> Blimey. That must have been about 1980 as well, I guess. It would have been early days, yeah. Yeah, because obviously Horns of Nymon wasn't on the telly till the turn of 1980, so book probably came out later the same year i would imagine of course me being a bit older i was well i think i've told this story before but i'm not sure if i told it on the podcast so let's go for it i was well this was the spring of 1977 so i would have been nine actually right and i was already a voracious reader but I hadn't been aware that they'd been novelising Doctor Who books. So I came to it quite late, I guess. I guess most people would come to it when they're seven or eight. But, you know, my first experience. We walked into a shop called John Menzies in Torquay. We moved down to Devon, but the house that we were supposed to be moving into, one of these things that grown-ups know about and kids don't, the house wasn't ready. So we had to spend a few weeks that summer uh, you know, not in a hotel, but well, actually, we went and stayed with some friends, my parents, for six weeks in Torquay. And we just went into town one day into John Menzies, which at the time was basically W.H. Smith's. And, uh, you know, we walked in and looked in the kids' book section, and I'd never seen them before. And I think it was only a shelf because I think it was too early for it. But I remember it being the whole bookcase. And it blew your tiny mind. It certainly did. But I only had enough money or, you know, they said they'd get me one. And when you see, oh, when you see all these books, <laughs> you want the lot, don't you? Yeah. One is not enough, is it? I don't think they were particularly expensive thinking about it. 60p. Yeah. But back in 1977. Then 60p was a lot of money. Yeah, pocket money. It would have been 50p a week. Yeah. So it was more than your pocket money. So there were all these books and there would have been all the good ones and a bunch of others i don't know actually maybe it was more than one shelf because thinking about it by that time there were probably about 40 available perhaps maybe 50 i remember my mum picking me up a copy of um the book of the three doctors at a local jumble sale i think it was 
And I remember really liking the cover. It was the one where you had uh, Omega and he's kind of put his hands out, stretching. The cartoon one. The three yeah, actors. that's yeah. The, the original. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's um, a Chris Killios one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I never, I never had that one. I only ever had the reprint. Yeah, uh, that's all I had. Yeah, I don't know why. I went, I... Out, I went out and bought the three doctors straight after seeing uh, five, five faces. Five yeah. faces, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I was there and I had to choose one book. So you do know this story, don't you, or do you? Remind me. Well, I was going to try and get you to guess what book it was by narrowing it down from the criteria in my head as I stood there looking at this Aladdin's cave of Doctor Who books. So. Given that this was 1977 and Tom Baker had been the Doctor for about three years and my earliest memories were of John Pertwee, I wanted to get a John Pertwee, really, because I wanted to get one that was recent enough for it to be a Doctor that I'd know, but long enough ago for it to be a Doctor that was exotic, as it were. Not the current... And not the current... it would be a new story to you as well. Well, yeah, that... Yeah, basically. So I... Said right, it's got to be John Pertwee, and I and I looked at them, and some were set on Earth, and some were set in history, and some were set in the future, and some were set on alien planets. And I thought it's got to be an alien planet. And then the other thing, of course, was had to be Daleks. So I picked the Dalek. The Dalek. Well, you know, you know exactly what it You're is. You're obsessed Mark. with that story, aren't you? Yeah, I know. My earliest memory, it seems to be following me around. You know, though, that was before Death to the Daleks came out. Death to the Daleks came out in 1978. So actually that was... Because otherwise Death to the Daleks would have been it. But you know, Death to the Daleks was one of the early ones I got. Thinking about it now, obviously, it couldn't have been the third one. But, but did you, like I did, just read some of these books over and over and over again? <coughs> Yeah, certain ones. I mean, I was... Uh, I remember making a, a beeline for Brona Morbius. Yeah. Purely to read the scene of the, the battle between the two Time Lords. Oh, really? Because, again, one of those little memories had stuck in my brain of seeing all the different Doctors, so I wanted them to put it in writing who each of those people were. And did they? No. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember what happens in the book of that. You know, that Brain of Morbius was one of the two books that had the junior Doctor Who. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, I've got vague. I don't think I read any of the junior ones. But Oh, you've got to share your microphone, Mark. No, no, I don't remember those. Right, there were two books that they did. Junior Doctor Who, which was a slightly larger format, but less pages and obviously <laughs> bigger print. And this was for even smaller kids, so I'm not entirely... This must have been aimed at like well, five They did a similar thing with the new series books, didn't they? They did, um, what do they call me? Is it Light Reads or something like that? Or yeah, that's for adults who don't reads. bother anymore, really. Oh. It's not really for kids, that's for the grown-ups. I thought that was for kids. I thought that was the whole idea. No, the quick reads are for grown-ups who've just, you know, not picked up a book in years and years and years. It's designed, it's not for, it's not like an adult literacy thing. It's the quick reads are designed to get grown-ups back into the habit of reading books. Quite admirable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's Doctor Who, but a lot of the quick reads are much more grown-up stuff. But I think... I had no idea. I've not read them because I thought they were going to be more... Oh, no, 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 no. The, the, the idea is that um, they don't use big words. 
because you know a lot of adults these days and i'm obviously generalizing horrifically <laughs> but a lot of adults these days are they just kind of let the language go a bit haven't they because they just do what they do yeah and you know they don't if you've not bothered with a book for 15 years you don't want to, something too tricky right no no, but that was the beauty of the Doctor Who bo- books in general, though. They were well, yeah, really these light reads are very much like the old Target books. Yeah, you know, in tone and content. So they're not; they're a bit easier and a bit quicker. But generally speaking, they're pretty much the same. But yeah, they're just designed to get grown-ups back into reading who haven't bothered with books. And of course, most of them are quite grown-up books, but sort of cut down and cut back for grown-ups who aren't in the habit of reading to read. But they did a Doctor Who one on the first year. And, of course, that probably outsold the others by about three to one being Doctor Who. Mm. They've just carried on doing a Doctor Who one every year since. Mm. Um, I remember being pretty obsessed with two Target books when I was a kid. Go on. Uh, First one was The Cybermen, which is the moon base. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I I think it was a reprint cover because it had the sort of... The proper proper Cybermen Cybermen standing on the moon or whatever, or with the moon in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is brilliant. Love that one. And the other one was um, the Ice Warriors. Really? Mm. Wow. Do you know that I could never get to grips with that book? Absolutely adored the Because you had clamps for hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Well, maybe we'll go on to the covers, but I could talk about the covers more than the books, if I'm honest. But being the arty side of things, I... If you look at those early Chris Killios covers, that is the template for people's illustrations from now on, right the way through to the DVD covers now. It's those same formats of pictures. To be honest, I wasn't going to talk about the covers. (laughs) Well, I'm saying that a lot of the time I collected them, and there's probably still quite a few that I never read. I'd love to have a complete collection with all the original covers. And actually, I did start buying a couple of... Because, you know, when you pick up one of these collections, like I said, with the Three Doctors, by the time I bought the Three Doctors, it was onto the reprint cover. Mm. I don't know why they changed that one so quickly. It must have been pretty quick. Dinosaur Invasion was the same. I always had the reprint cover of that. And Terror of the Autons. And I actually bothered to go out and buy copies of Terror of the Autons and Dinosaur Invasion in the original covers. But it's it's the reprint that I love, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm not saying that the reprint covers aren't good. They are. But it would be nice to have a complete collection and all the originals. But of course, they changed the they changed the design, didn't they? So it would have been nice if the Chris Achilles covers had covered the entire range. But of course, they don't. I managed to pick up one of the American prints. Yeah, I have got one the of those ta- as well. Talons of Wen Chang. I think that's the one I've got as well. Very strange artwork. Yeah. Oh, have you seen Day of the Daleks? No, not not that I can think. Day of, of the Daleks has got like spaceships and stuff on it. <laughs> no spaceships in the story, but it's I, I think it's that one. It's got like spaceships for some obscure reason. But how weird is the logo? Oh yeah, yeah. I'd seen um I think it was uh Seeds of Doom. And that I was struck by why the logo was different. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's a licensing thing, obviously. They yeah, presumably didn't have the license to do the same logo. Or maybe they just didn't like it and they thought it would appeal. Because I guess the thing about those, because the Americans tend on the whole to be a bit more pernickety about their sci-fi. 
being proper science fiction, right? They do look more pulpy, don't they? Though? Yeah, and these book covers are obviously deliberately designed designed to be more pulpy. And perhaps that's why they chose that logo because it looks more like oh, it looks a bit more <laughs> like a it looks a bit more like a horror book. And I guess the stories that they were picking were a bit more horror than sci-fi. Things like Talons of Wang Chang. And, you know, there are a lot of them with the Hinchcliffe ones. Um, I was going to say about the Moonbase. That was a great book. It was a great one. And I, th- I think it was the first one I bought with my own pocket money. Because I'd been getting them out of the library. Yeah. I think that was the very first one I actually bought. Oh, wow. Do you know the thing that really got me about that book was... Because obviously it's way, way better than the story as it was on TV. Yeah. But the thing that got me about it was how scary it was. And, you know, th- those books were scary and thrilling and exciting, but but scary, far more so, I think, than the TV programme really was. It says a lot about the Cybermen, because the idea of the Cybermen is probably <laughs> scarier than their actual existence on screen. Oh, on screen, they're just robots. I mean, I was they? obsessed with Cybermen, more so than Daleks at that point. And I think that I, I obviously read that before Earthshock. Yeah. And and when Earthshock happened and the Cybermen came back, my excitement was all down to those Target books because I hadn't seen the Cybermen, obviously, since Revenge of the Cybermen, when I was probably so young that my memory is inc- incredibly sketchy. Do you know, the weird thing is, those stories, and particularly those two Cybermen stories, I would say, Tomb of the Cybermen and The Moon Base, translate far better into print than they do on the telly. I think when you watch the episodes on the telly, and I'm not saying they don't love Tomb of the Cybermen, but we spoke about this the other week and I was pointing out some of its flaws. Mm -hmm. And on the telly, those flaws just seem a lot more apparent than they do in print. I mean, obviously in print it's the same story, but you just seem to be able to get past the flaws more easily. And of course, on the telly, some of the scary bits, especially now as an adult, really aren't all that scary at all. But of course in print, it's all in your imagination, exactly, isn't yeah. it? So those two Cybermen stories, re- it was the base under siege thing is perfect in those books. Mm. I tell you a book I really enjoyed, not Doctor Who, but John Christopher, and it was called I think The Possessors, or something like that. Mm. And basically, John Christopher, bless him, basically just used to rewrite other people's ideas into his own books. So you know, like the tripods is almost. Day of the Triffids meets War of the Worlds. Well, The Possessors was just essentially the thing from another world. Just about right. It was like an Agatha Christie meets shape-shifting alien thing set in, the, set in an isolated base under siege, but it was just exactly like Doctor Who, but without the Doctor. And that was a great book. And I used to love those base under siege stories in book form. My memory is cheating here. I, I think... I remember the book for the Five Doctors coming out before yes. the program aired. Was that right? Silver. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. silver cover. Yeah, it did. There was, a, I think, it was Star Wars that kicked that off with the Empire Strikes Back book. You'll know this, Simon. That yeah, came out just I before. The, it. I read that the book of that before, I saw before the film. And yeah, and Jedi as well. Yeah. I don't know if the Five Doctors. I don't know if they did that because Star Wars was doing that. But it seems a bit of a coincidence if they didn't, because it was it was the same year as Return of the Jedi, wasn't it? Yeah. And of course, if they'd done that with Empire and they were doing it with Return of the Jedi, well, they probably would have done it by that point with Return of the Jedi. And obviously they got Terrence Dix to write the book straight after he'd written the script or whatever, so it was ready. 
So I wonder if they did put it out like a week before it was on telly, knowing maybe that Star Wars were doing that. And, you know, the thing about it is the Return of the Jedi book, right? It's just a novelization. Is Alan Dean Foster? No. Uh, oh, Return of the Jedi. I've... Um... No, it's not Alan Dean. But it's someone like that. Yeah, yeah. Those books. It's not a known author. Those books, they get picked up by people who've enjoyed the film, right? And this is pre-VHS, let alone DVD. So those books are picked up by people who want to relive the film. But to be honest, they don't sell in huge, great quantities. And they're not great books, by and large. I will say the prequel books well, that's, yeah. are better, obviously. Well... Now, <laughs> they probably take more care. Yeah, they do. Because, obviously... <clears throat> and they've used named authors. But uh, Terry Brooks and... Times have changed. Yeah. But the point is, if you get your book out before the film, you're going to sell a lot more copies because you're going to get fanboys rushing out who want to know what happens and spoil it for themselves, basically. I know you said you weren't that bothered about talking about the covers. I think a huge thing for me with those books, because... Perhaps it wasn't for a while before I'd started reading through stuff like the um, the episode guide. Um, a lot of the stories I didn't really know. So the cover would kind of sell it to you. Obviously, you check the blurb on the back. But yeah. it's one of those things as a kid. Yeah, if a cover kind of speaks to you, then you kind of make a beeline for it, don't you? But you lived in a pretty sad time where all the decent covers were on books <laughs> that had been out for years and all the new books were coming out with dreadful covers. Oh, I wasn't aware <clears> of that, was I? I tell you what, you <laughs> but you two kind of lived through the Davison books, didn't you? Yeah, 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 most of mine had this sort of neon logo on them. Oh yeah, Castro, the Castro Valva cover. I mean, if ever there was a missed opportunity. Oh, those covers were dreadful. Absolutely awful time flight. You know the reason why, though, don't you? Because Peter Davison's agent. I don't think it was Peter Davison himself. His agent was unhappy with the way Peter Davison was represented in art. He thought his face was too bland to paint, right? He came out quite well in the annuals. Some of those illustrations Well, this is what I'm saying. His agent thought his face was too bland to paint, so he refused to let anybody paint it. (laughs) So whether that's right or wrong... draw, I will say. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean... He doesn't have... Yeah, I I take the point that he doesn't doesn't have a very characteristic face. Kind of caricature a lot of Patrick Trout and Tom Baker very easy to caricature. David Tennant as well. And William Hartnell. Pertwee. Yes, Hartnell, all Hartnell's of them. Hartnell's quite difficult actually. Oh, really? To get right, yeah. No, oh, maybe. That explains your picture in the last Starburst then. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, in the next Starburst, that's not out yet, is it? Oh, what? <laughs> oh, what, the Hartnell? Well, the the Trout Hartnell and Trout. Trout came yeah. out well. I thought they both came out well. Oh, okay. thank you. I thought it was very good. I'm just being nice. Um, makes a change. (laughs) The thing about those books, the early one, when I first got into it, I was old enough to be able to, like, really sit down and devour those books. I think when I first got them, I'd read, like, an episode's worth at a time, either two or three chapters. But after a while, I would just wake up on a Saturday morning, pick up one of the books, and, you know, read it, and two hours later or whatever, it'd be finished. I'd read the whole book on a Saturday morning. And, you know, I got into the habit of doing this every week, or near enough so probably for a period of maybe a couple of years before i started growing out of them i guess i would be reading probably 50 target books a year and some probably more than that even because i think i'd read one during the week as well 
but some of those books just got pulled out every four, five, six months and were just read over and over and over again. And those two Dalek books, Planet of the Daleks and Death of the Daleks, I know neither of them are regarded as great stories now, but at that age, they were the daring do books. They were the big adventures. And Death of the Daleks, which is going back to where we came in, so scary. The idea of the Exelons. I had the book of that. I can't really remember much of it at all. Oh, really? <coughs> I found the Exelons cowled, hooded, following Sarah Jane and the Doctor around in the dark. And I remembered from when I was a kid the opening scene where the um, <coughs> guy from the spaceship is running through the pit and gets the arrows in his chest. Mm -hmm. I remembered that and I found that absolutely petrifying. So when it came to reading the book, those first few chapters where Sarah Jane gets... and Well, both Sarah Jane and the Doctor get attacked by these hooded cow aliens who don't even speak, really. Oh, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> but it's, um, it's amazing how they get these stories which live and breathe. Through. I mean, remember the Book of Invasion of Time being great? I think you're misremembering that one. <laughs> really? Was the book not that good? I don't think so. I don't... To be honest, uh, the first three years of Target, I remember vividly. Mm -hmm. And after that, the only thing I can remember about them is that they're pretty much a struggle to get through. <coughs> ah. Destiny of the Daleks was, I think, the first one where I noticed the page count and the word count and thinking to myself, there's really very little to this. And I think that's because it came out pretty much straight after the TV version. And it was so... The, the TV version was so fresh in my mind that there wasn't anything new in the book. And I think from that point onwards, I just didn't really get anything out of many of them. I think, though, as a kid, it was a good way of being able to go back to stories that you had enjoyed because <coughs> you didn't really have VHS at that point. No, this is the point, really, isn't degree, it? Yeah. yeah. I remember reading Earthshot quite a few times over because I really enjoyed the, um, the TV programme. That's another one with a weird cover. Just him sort of kneeling down with a gun. Yeah, no. Just <laughs> odd. It's like they randomly chose a frame from a video. Just oh, that will do. With, with blue. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't want to put the Cybermen on the cover of Earth Shock, no, even though the book came out like what six months after the TV version, mm. and nobody was going to be surprised by the fact that the Cybermen were in it. And they're not mentioned on the blurb, of course. I think the blurb on the back just says a menace from the Doctor's past so, or so something like that. So do we have certain authors? I mean, obviously that was Ian Martyr, wasn't it? Ian Martyr's books were good. Yeah. I remember but, them being accused of being over violent, overly violent. Yeah. Well, I think he... You can appreciate that. Well, the, the, Ian Martyr... <laughs> well, he famously was the one who put a swear word in a Target book. Oh, right. What? In Invasion? No. no. Say word. No, he didn't put the word Sayward in a Target <laughs> book, Mark. Do you know? Do you know Mark? No, I can't remember that. Well, okay. Remind me. Uh, Enemy of the World. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a scene in Enemy of... Oh, God, I've only read I it the one... I going to say the C word for a minute. Yeah, no. There's a scene in Enemy of the World where Farrah, I think, has a confrontation with the man who's betrayed her. And she calls him a bastard. I think that's the scene. I can't remember it being like 30 years since I've read it or whatever it is. But I think it's that. Anyway, that word's in it. Oh. 
So there you go. That was a bit of a shocker. But the thing was, I don't know how this would have got out. Within, I wouldn't have been reading anything but Doctor Who magazine at the time. <laughs> so did it in the review in Doctor Who magazine, did they mention it and say the B word or something? Write in and say whether they remember that. But, but I was aware there was going to be... What sort of era was that, Enemy of the World? Was that early 80s? For the book? Yeah. Yeah, well, yes, it was. And because what they did was they started in, was it 73, with the three reprints of the 60s books, mm. which were, in case anybody doesn't know, the we Daleks. Talk about that as well. The Daleks, the Zarbai, and the Crusaders. Yeah. Zarbai? Zarbi. <laughs> what did I say? Zarbai. Oh, I'm going back to Mask of Mandragora and the Wern, <laughs> things like that, aren't I? When you used to know the word, but not how it was said. Yeah. <laughs> wow, there is um, there is a blog on the old uh, interwebs called uh, Adventures with a Wife in Space, and they did a little um, video uh, commentary <laughs> for the three doctors. And Neil, bless him, had always thought that the guards were called the Gel Guards, and somebody had to point out to him actually, no, they're the Gel Guards. He's never actually watched it. He must have seen it. Or is it not mentioned on screen, is it? I don't think it is, no. No, of course read the it's not. the novelisation and thought it was Gell. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you? Well, it's, I, I've only recently started saying Shadow instead of Shader. Twit. <laughs> <laughs> but you do. Yeah. When you're a kid, because you, you don't remember how it was pronounced from when it was on telly from X months or years before. Because you don't drink in the pronunciations, you drink in the images, right? So when you come to read the books, and this is it, this is what Target, more than anything, would have been responsible for generations of children all growing up pronouncing the same words in any number of different ways. Now, we talked about that before, didn't we? The different pronunciations. So what did, it, what did everyone make of the, um, the Daleks? That was one of the first ones, because I, it was prior to, I must have been reading them prior to the Un Unearthly Child coming out, because I went back because I was one of these kids who liked reading things in order as best I could. So I went right back. And, of course, the, fir the first I could get to was the Daleks, because Another Thief Child hadn't been... Hadn't that been came out at the same time as Five Faces. Yeah. In fact, I think it was time to come out almost exactly the same time as the Five Faces, I think. I just... I seem to recall picking it up either just like a week before or a week after it was on the telly, I think. Well, don't they rewrite the start of... Um, the Daleks, so he actually meets them at the start of that one rather than having the events of an earthly child. Because when David Whittaker wrote it, it was probably going to be the only Doctor Who book, so he thought he ought to give the introduction. And, and more in common with the movie. Well, actually, yeah, respect. it kind of does. Yeah. The weird thing about it, though, is Ian and Barbara don't even know each other in the book, no. do they? And it's written in first person. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. I'm a big fan of first person literature, so I that is probably my favourite because of that first person thing. Was it David Whittaker that did the one for the Crusaders? Yeah, as yeah, well? yeah, because he does it again there as well. I seem to remember. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I love that book as well. Yeah, me too. And of course, Doctor Who and the Zarbai <laughs> is not so good. That's the valuable one nowadays, by the way. Is it? Yeah, that's like. I think because it. Well, I'm <coughs> what the I original think, 
issue or well the daleks and the crusaders came out in paperback but I have a feeling Zar, Doctor and Zabi never did. So you only got the one hardback edition. And I don't know if there were even reprints. And I've checked it out on eBay once or twice. And 200 quid. For the hardback? Yeah. Whereas I picked up a paperback of the Crusaders. Original first edition paperback. Yeah. For four quid. And even the Daleks, my copy of the Daleks, I've got a, f- a first paperback edition of the Daleks and it's falling apart. Mm. And I did think about replacing it, but it, even though it's only a 10 quid, it seemed like that's 10 quid that could have been spent elsewhere, really, to be honest. But I wouldn't mind a nice copy of that, in case anyone's listening. Well, you've got to try, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. So there's quite a big gap bef- between those. Obviously, the first three were the 60s, and the next one's in 73. Well, no, it not the next one's 73. The same one's 73. Right. Target bought the rights. I can't remember exactly what the story is. If David Howe's listening, he'll tell us. Yeah. He won't be listening. <laughs> I can't, you probably know it better than I do, Mark. Well, Target... Well, W.H. Allen... Insofar as I best remember it, and I'm very, very woolly on this, WHLM were a grown-up publishing company and were looking to get into children's books. So they started Target as a children's books imprint. And I think they were just kind of looking around for reprints of children's books that were out of print, and so they could get them fairly cheaply and get them onto the market and test the waters, I guess. And those three Doctor Who books had come out in the 60s and had gone to, like, maybe two editions and then had gone out of print by maybe 1966. Mm. So by the time 1973 rolled around, and, of course, it seems a strange thing to say, but back then, because you didn't have the internet and things like that, you know, seven years was a lot longer back then than it is now. You know, seven years was an eternity back then insofar as, you know, the passage of information is concerned. So by the time it got to 1973 and they issued those three books to test the waters, it was like having three brand new books, especially as they're children's books. And, of course, your new generation of children aren't even aware of the stuff in the 60s because they weren't born. Or if they were, they would have been like three months old or something. So when they put those out, there were like three brand new books. And they obviously did really well. Because <coughs> then Target got in touch with Terence Dix and said, we want more. So Terence Dix was persuaded to put together a small team of people who could write these books fairly quickly and get Target. I think they did the first year of the proper Targets. Their own books was 1974. And I think in 1974, they came out every two months. And I think it increased either the following year or soon after that to like one a month. And you had Terrence Dicks. You had Terrence Dicks and Malcolm Hulk and Jerry Davis and Brian Hales, basically. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry Davis was doing the Cybermen ones. Yeah. Brian Hales was doing the Ice Warrior ones. Yeah. And Malcolm Hulk was adapting his own. And apart from that, Terrence Dix was pretty much doing all the rest. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> but they were great. And Terrence Dix sort of tended to concentrate on the Robert Holmes ones. 
So he was doing things like the two Autumn books. Was there a choice process, or was it literally said? Oh, well, Terence Dix decided. Did essentially, it? yeah. Target didn't know. The people at Target wouldn't have known, wouldn't have had any access to scripts or anything. So they were basically relying on Terence Dix no, to no choose. Su- no surprise he'd go for the Bob Holmes one. Well, yeah, and his own, of course. He did Giant yeah. Robot. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, was his. That's another thing. I mean, is there a reason why some of the books have a different title from their TV counterparts? <clears throat> well, I don't think I've ever read a particular reason. I think. I think if you want to look at it from an authorly point of view, you can mention Adric if you like now, Mark. <laughs> uh, when you're selling, <clears throat> when you're selling a book, you are selling it. Although you may be selling it to the same person, you're selling it to a different market from a television program. You know, when Doctor Who's on the telly, you can put an adventure out called Robot, knowing that people are going to watch it anyway. If A, they like Doctor Who, or B, they're curious to see what the new Doctor is going to be like. So the title is that Robot is a pretty dull title, right? I mean, it doesn't, you know, there's a robot in it, and that's it. So you give it a name like the Giant Robot, and all of a sudden you've gone into the area of Pulp Fiction, haven't you? You know, this is my, one of my. It's also the Ander. <clears throat> it was always Ander, yeah. wasn't it, up until the 80s? Yeah, yeah, apart from Death to the Daleks. That was the one exception oh, yeah. they made back in the 70s. Um, yeah, oh, that's one of my favourite little peccadillos, my uh, fondness <laughs> for the something of something titles. Yeah. Or reversed, you know, Giant Robot is essentially a something of something. Yeah, it, the curse of fateful death. What? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely, Mark. <clears throat> but do you know what I mean? Frontier in Space was a space war, wasn't it? I'm trying to think what other ones. Yeah, oh, Malcolm and, Holt. And the dinosaur um, invasion instead of evasion of the dinosaurs. Yeah, Malcolm Holt the, changed um, all of his pretty much. Instead of the Siderians as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because essentially, if you put a book on a shelf in a bookshop, I mean, a lot of people are going to know that it's... Well, people are going to know what Doctor Who is, right? But they're not necessarily going to remember the story. A kid in 1974... <clears throat> who's just getting into reading, who's, say, six or seven years old, is not probably going to remember the Silurian story because there's absolutely no way of being able to see it again in the meantime. So he's not going to... So if you put the word Silurians on the front of a book, right? I mean, cover notwithstanding, but you need a title as well that sells the story. So Frontier in Space, for example... That's the idea of a frontier is quite a grown up concept to sort of stick in front of a kid in a title. You can explain it in the book and the kid will understand it, but use the word frontier in a title, and most like six year olds are going to say, but you stick the title Space War on the front of a book, and your six year old kid is thinking, it takes place in space and there's a war. And that's the point. You sell it to a kid who's not going to know the story, who needs the book selling to them. I think Malcolm Hulk was the one guy who'd like changed all his titles. Mm. Terence Dix obviously had a thing for it at first and changed Spearhead to Auton Invasion, Robot to Giant Robot. And those probably aren't the only examples, but off the top of my head. But Malcolm Hulk, were there any that he didn't change? War Games? Yeah, well, that was later. <clears throat> War Games was much later than his other ones. Mm. 
But of those other ones, he changed them all, didn't he? Cave monsters, doomsday weapons, space wars, dinosaur invasion. Um, any others? I can't think. No. Uh, Do we have a favourite? Yeah. Is Death to the Daleks your favourite? No, I would say... Well, it's very hard to choose. I'll give you three. Mm. I'll give you eight, actually. <laughs> I don't... Well, I'll tell you the eight that I reread the most were the five Dalek books. The not Genesis, oddly. No. No, I don't know. Something about Genesis I found a bit of a dull book. But the three Pertwees and the two Hartnells that were out at the time read those and reread them incessantly. And the Cybermen and the two Auton books. And probably the Cave Monsters. I should round it out with a ten now, shouldn't I? <laughs> Dear listener, make up your own. <laughs> Go on then, give us a no. You, Mark's fallen asleep. One, the one book, in, I think I've mentioned it before in a previous podcast, is, <coughs> and I remember really, really enjoying it. Where one of those books where I literally sat reading it through my lunch, right through a Saturday. I picked it up from the news agents, and <coughs> and being someone who doesn't who's never really been taken to the historical adventures at all. I'm such a sci-fi geek. I absolutely adored The Highlanders. Mm. It's such a fun book, and it's absolute rollicking adventure. It's Had brilliant. a very similar experience with The Smugglers. Yeah. And I can't remember which I've one of those two came either. out first. Yeah. But I think I read The Smugglers first, and so The Highlanders, although it was very similar, yeah. didn't have quite the same effect because The Smugglers had been such a revelation. But I think, you know, by the time The Smugglers came out, I was pretty much, um, what's the word, when you don't, can't get disease, I was pretty much inoculated against Terran Sticks. Yeah. You know, that's not the word I you was looking for. You were inoculated against Sticks. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that's not the word I was looking for, but, you know, I was immune to Terran Sticks mm. is the word I was looking for because his books had pretty much been very much just scripts by that point you yeah, know yeah. so i wasn't expecting any great shakes from a terran sticks book and this was the point at which on the one hand they were going back and doing a lot of old stories from the 60s and that meant books of things like galaxy four and the space museum that really left a lot to be desired in story terms the space museum with the best will in the world, is not going to fire your imagination like Doctor Who in an exciting adventure <laughs> with the Daleks, is it? So I didn't have great expectations from the range as a whole. Didn't have great expectations from Terence Dix. And by the time this book come out, came out, I think I must have been in my mid-teens. And by this point, I was really only reading the Target books because I'd read them all. And, it, you know, each time a new one came out, I just kind of felt that I had to read it. They were, they, around the mid-80s, it really did become an event where you were waiting for a particular story to come out. Well, I think it depends how old you were. Because, yeah, see, for me, that would have been earlier. Yeah, yeah. And that was before you could get printed schedules. This was before Doctor Who magazines. You never did know when a book was coming out. So it wasn't an event. It was just, you know, you kept going to the shops, and if there was a new one, great. Yeah. But anyway, The Smugglers... So I had no expectations for it whatsoever. So when I sat down on the Saturday morning and picked it up and started to read it, I really, that was the first time in a long time 
that I'd had that experience where I sat and read the whole book in one go. And I loved it. Because it's just... Those historicals that you just tell, they're all a pretty strong story, the historicals. They almost have to be. Because they're not relying on devices. No, they're relying on, you know, um, not just people, but um, your awareness to a certain extent of period conventions, by which I mean you know, for example, in a book like The Smugglers, that you can't get out of things by having, you know, uh, there's not going to be a typewriter, there's not going to be a calculator, there's not going to be a radio. It sounds like it should be incredibly <clears throat> dull. Yeah, but it's not, because, because that's the whole point. If, you're not, if you don't have things like radios and telephones and stuff like that, you have to get through the plot by use of more imagination with what's available to you. I listened to the soundtrack of that one not so long ago. I quite enjoyed it. The Smugglers? Yeah. I love it. Mm. I, uh, I watched um, our friend Peter Weber's um, reconstruction of it. Yeah. Our friend Peter does recons. Very simple, just the photographs and the narrated soundtrack. But they really work because they Spends give you... a lot of time on that. <clears throat> yeah. But they give you a visual reference and I find it easier to deal with that. And it's... You know, watching his version of The Smugglers and it's not as strong as it seemed to be in the book. But nevertheless, it's still very enjoyable. I think one of the most memorable Target books um, was Day of the Daleks. Yeah. Um, for me as a kid, that was a, a pretty decent read. And great cover again. Well, that was... Yeah, it was. They're, they're all those early... There's some really striking color covers on some of those early books. And quite different ones as well. I mean, Planet of the Daleks, is that a different artist or the same artist? Because those very, very early ones from the first year are almost cartoons. The Planet of the Daleks one, <coughs> <coughs> the original was a Chris Achilles, wasn't it? Wasn't it what picture of, um, of course... Them pushing the Daleks. The chap we've just lost. And that's today, wasn't it? Oh, Bernard Horsfall, yeah. Yeah. Mm. A uh, picture of him struggling with a Dalek, wasn't it? And then Him and John Pertwee. Pushing oh, the Dalek yeah, into the right. ice pond. Yeah, that was a Chris Kilios. Yeah. But then what I'm saying is that's there's a hugely different style between the Day of the Daleks cover yeah. and the Planet of the Daleks cover. Yeah. Day of the Daleks cover, very simple, very bold, very cartoon. Almost kind of almost has a kind of abstract quality to it because the drawing's so simple. And the original Daleks covers the same. And there's, you know, there's quite a lot of development, even in that sort of first year or so of the books coming out, first two years of them. Just talking about it, I just want to go back through and work out which ones I haven't got and sort them out. I keep picking them up from cardboard <clears> sales. I got a, so I've got like three copies to get all the different covers now. You know, even when I grew out of Doctor Who in the 1990s, I never got rid of my Target books. always kept hold of them because I just... In the back of your mind, you just kind of know that one day it'll come back. Not necessarily the series, but your love for the old series. I'd be fascinated to read some novelizations of some of the latest episodes. I mean, I, it's not going to work. It'll have to be almost like an anthology, wouldn't it? From being a well, it depends. They managed to get, you know, if you're talking 128 pages, they got 128 pages out of The Edge of Destruction and Black Orchid and The Rescue. Yeah. And, you know, those are essentially the same length as, you know, modern episodes for today. And, in fact, the increased pace of modern episodes today means 
Something like the Unquiet Dead packs a lot more in than Black Orchid necessarily did. So, you know, you could probably get... And indeed, Sarah Jane Adventures did. They did Target-style novelizations for some of the Sarah Jane Adventures. I was very upset when they um, knocked them on the head before they did the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. Was it the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith? Yeah, no, it was. It? What we... No, no, I've, no, that's the one I've got. It's the next one that the Doctor appeared in, the one that Matt Smith appeared in. What was it called? Death of the Doctor. Yeah, they didn't. They wrote it, but they knocked the paperbacks on the head. So it was only released as an e-book, I think. I could be wrong. But it was supposed to come out in paperback, and they never issued it. Tell you what, I was going through my cupboard, uh, looking for your book, actually, JL, because I couldn't find it, but I found it. Um, it was in a cupboard? <coughs> yeah, of course. Book cupboard, with all the other Doctor Who books. Not right. It should be on a shelf. <laughs> Presentation um, case. Yeah. I've, I've got one of those K9 kids books. The Beasts of Vega. Remember those? Yeah. Really bad <clears throat> airbrushed artwork. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever had one. I just I had no interest. No interest in robots at all, me. So stick. Uh, what's the... I've got a feeling I got to pick that up from Junior School Book Club. And there was also... Like a sort of spin-off thing called Canine and Other Mechanical Creatures. Right. <laughs> yeah, I remember that being slightly naff. Mark, you are awake. <laughs> Ish. Did, was that short stories or was that behind the I scenes? I just seem to remember what? them being really sort of slim little, not quite to the level of pamphlets, but not. There was a Dalek one as well. A bit like Mr. Men books. Yeah, not far from that. There was a Dalek one, and I had the Dalek one, but it was a bit of a waste of time. Can't even remember what they were called. Terry Nation's Daleks. Was... <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you know, the, 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 going back to the subject of um, David Daleks, you know, some of the... Cause I think this is perhaps, again, like I was saying about the scary stuff, and um, Tomb of the Cybermen and the plot faults. Sometimes it's more apparent on the page or in what you bring to the page yourself how some of the styles are different because the thing about the Target books that struck me was that either they were really thrilling stroke exciting or they were thrilling stroke scary. But the Day of the Daleks was the one that stood out because it was thrilling stroke twisty turny. Mm. And there weren't many books that were twisty-turny. And although, obviously, they're the same plot as there is on the TV, I think on the TV, if you know what the twist is, then it doesn't get you. Whereas in a book, I find it much easier to forget in a book what happens yeah. so that even though you know the twist's coming, you can't quite remember what, either what it is or how it plays out. So that twist at the end of the Day of the Daleks can still get you even once you've read it like three or four times. So I used to, yes, that's one of the reasons I loved that one, because I knew there was a twist, and I couldn't quite work out what the twist was. And I still can't now, to be honest with you. <laughs> I can't work these things out. I think with the book, is it's so much more <coughs> immersive, isn't it? It will it literally take you down one direction. Well, that's it. You're watching something on telly, and it's easy to get distracted by whatever else is going on in the room. Whereas you sit down and read a book, and you're entirely focused, aren't you? 
completely. Poor Mark's fading away. He's just sitting here nodding and looking off into the distance. Um, I didn't want to just talk about the Target books, though. Do you remember repeats of the TV series when you were a kid? Yeah. Just the five phases or prior to? Prior to, well, I think my first Doctor Who memories, it was a repeat. I think it was an omnibus uh, version of Planet of the Spiders just before Tom Baker came. Oh, that's now on DVD, of course. Oh, is it? Yeah, they included that on the they included that on the Planet of the Spiders DVD, and they've, the Ark in Space omnibus sixty minutes ish is on the new Ark in Space re-release. I wish they'd done that with all of them actually, because I have really fond memories of those omnibus omnibus stories. Because <laughs> I'm probably old enough to have seen all the omnibuses from the nineteen seventies, mm. and they were I thought. Of think course, the VHS releases came out as omnibuses, didn't it? Yeah, Into it was different. Came out. Yeah, it was different because they weren't cut. They just had the edits. They oh. just had the edits of the credits and the titles. But the Ark in Space and Planet of the Spiders, Genesis of the Daleks, Sea Devils, I think, yeah, Sea Devils, were all cut down to a shorter length. Like a six-part story would be cut down to 90 minutes and a four-parter down to 60 I'm sh- I think they showed them either in the school holidays or at Christmas or something. BSB show a lot of kind of omnibus, or was that just they just showed all the episodes one after the other? Yeah, without the credits, right. they put adverts in where the credits and titles would have been. Oh, I see. So you'd get the sting, and you'd go into an advert break, and then you'd come <laughs> out, and they then you'd come out on the reprise. So even though you were watching an omnibus edition, oh, yeah. you would still get the reprise of the cliffhanger, even though you'd only been through a three and a half minute advertising <laughs> break in between, <laughs> which is insane. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I'd seen any previous ones until Five Faces. Yeah, that was the big thing. Yeah. Because the repeats during the 1970s, and like I say, I can't remember if it was summer holidays or Christmas, but I'm pretty sure it was a school holiday kind of a thing. And it was probably only once a year. It must have been just once a year, and it was the best story from the last season. It was cut down and shown on telly. But they sort of tailed off in about... Well, in fact, Seeds of Doom would have been the last one, and they put together the paperwork for the edit and never actually did the edit so the last one would have been the Genesis of the Daleks one which probably yeah they did the Ark in Space and Genesis of the Daleks and that would have been it which is a shame I'd love to have seen what they I'd love to have seen a 90 minute Seeds of Doom check out the fan edit web yeah it's not the same now when you were a kid watching Doctor Who as a movie yeah that was like, they were special yeah. watching Doctor Who as a movie when you were a kid. Mm. And I, that's why I'm glad they've started putting them on the DVDs now. And a real shame they didn't put the Genesis one, because Genesis does have a lot of stuff you could cut out mm. quite easily. But yeah, they were great. And then they kind of tailed off. And I think for a couple of years, they would repeat a couple of stories, but episodically. Absolutely. Vague reflection. Did they ever repeat the series on BBC Two later in the year? No, it was still on. I think it was cheating again. Is it? Maybe it was. I should have brought my book with all this. Got a vague recollection that I would. I would tend to catch it on the second. 
Well, it, they didn't. They repeat. They tended to repeat one or two stories, but episodically. For instance, I think in the Key to Time year, they repeated the Pirate Planet and the Androids of Tara, which is why also I think I've got particularly strong memories of those two stories because I would have seen them twice when I was a kid. And you know, there's not many stories you get to see twice when you're a kid without VHS and everything. That Five Faces series was... Yeah, but then John Dathan Turner made a big deal of that. Hit me at just the right age. And the fact that every, it was a different episode every day. But it would, be, it would have been Monday to Thursday, wouldn't it? Cause yeah, all, Monday to Thursday, stories. four episode stories, yeah. Um, the fact you could come home from school, sit down with your tea, and there'd be another Doctor Who episode with a Doctor that you'd never seen before. <coughs> Just amazing. And you know what? I was so upset at the choices. Yeah. Because you're probably... Now this sounds patronising, but you're probably so young that you just lapped up whatever was oh, absolutely. on. absolutely, yeah. Whereas... <coughs> I was old enough to be thinking to myself if you're only showing one Tom Baker story why are you not showing the Ark in Space yeah. or Pyramids of Mars or you know anything from back then why are you showing one that was only on a few months ago and I was thinking you've shown two um, John Pertwee stories one because it's three doctors fair enough but why is the other one Carnival of Monsters because Carnival of Monsters is not the best four-part John Pertwee story to show to a yeah, kid. Yeah, strangely, they showed it out of se- out of order. Oh, they showed Carnival first and Three Doctors after. Yeah, did they? I don't they remember did. that. No, I, no, I'm sure they did. Yeah, because they probably showed the first Three Doctors on yes. their own, and then Absolutely, Three yeah. Doctors afterwards <laughs> for having all the yeah, first so Three yeah. Doctors in. Joe coming out of the TARDIS after her first flight or something, wasn't it? Yeah, crazy. Well, no, she her first flight was a colony in space, but. Yeah. yeah that was but then i'm thinking i knew the reason because i read it i think why they were showing the croton so that was fair enough but then i'm also thinking with william hartnell i mean nice to see the very first episode but then i'm thinking why are they showing this really dull adventure with cavemen when they could be showing something with monsters and then the following year do you remember this the doctor Who and the monsters season uh, remind me, what did they show? They showed the Curse of Peladon. <clears throat> yeah. And Mark's. <laughs> apart from the fact that he's asleep, he's just got this look yeah, on his no, face that says he now, doesn't I... remember. This has turned into a duologue, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, the... Curse of Peladon, I remember. Curse of... I think it was Curse of Peladon, Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah. And one other story. Oh, Earth. No, Visitation. Right. Visitation or Earthshock. Oh, it's probably it would have been Earthshock because it was Cybermen. Daleks, Cybermen, Ice Warriors. Yeah, exactly. Again, it would have been unless they did show something else, but I can't remember what the third story was. Mm. And it would seem to fit that they would show a Cyberman story that was a recent story yeah. in the same way they'd showed a Tom Baker story that was a recent one. Surely the only reason they showed Logopolis during that series was because it was called Five Faces and that was the only way they could get the fifth face in. Yeah, but crying out loud, we'd <laughs> we'd seen him just a few months before and we were about to see him again in a few months. I mean, if they had the wherewithal to show two John Pertwee stories, couldn't they have extended it by another week and shown two Tom Bakers? Yeah. Because one of the reasons why they showed the three Doctors was because it had all three Doctors in, right? Yeah. So if you need to show 
two doctors in Legopolis to get your five faces thing, it stands to reason that you show another Tom Baker story like you showed another John Pertwee story. So why couldn't they just have shown Pyramids and Mars? Or the Ark in Space? Yeah, <clears throat> close to the chest. It was a very annoying decision as far as a, however old it was, 11-year-old me was concerned. what were the reasons why they chose the pro- Protons again? It was the only four-parter in the archives. Oh, right, okay. And it had to be over four nights. They could have re-edited The Dominators or Mind Robber, which both had episodes that underran madly, particularly The Mind Robber. They could have showed The Mind Robber with, uh, in four parts. Well, I think they should have gone with your idea that you came up with a while ago of uh, when you didn't try to get someone to edit the uh, Dominators and the Crotons together. To just... And just take out all the scenes that don't have yeah. Patrick Troughton and the companions in. <laughs> <clears throat> that would have been interesting. Did you, did you, either of you, have access to things like B Sky B though when they first started repeating Doctor Who My properly? Sister's father-in-law recorded a load for when they did the the whole weekend. He recorded a load of stuff for me. The anniversary was that. I can't remember the show. Or was that the launch music? weekend? Oh, that was a launch weekend, I oh, think. was it? Yeah, he recorded a whole load from that. I think, because I don't know, because I never had B Sky B, and I never got Sky until the new series came on. I got Sky 4 Rose. Right. So I didn't have even Sky, no satellite at all, until 2005. So my memories of B Sky B are pretty blank. I got... We had Go Sky on. in the 90s because I was fairly football obsessed. As That's I Mark, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I remember watching a, a lot of the old ones on UK Gold. They had a, a run of them. I think they'd show them every... I think they'd show them every evening and then they'd do like an omnibus. Yeah, the weekend. weekend yeah. A Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think they... The evening ones were like something like six o'clock, weren't they? Half past five or half past six or something. I think, and then the omnibus would be the same story, generally. Yeah. But then, because the stories were all different lengths, I think they had a confusing thing where sometimes at the weekend they'd show the story that was coming up the following week, or sometimes they'd get behind and they'd show a story that had been shown during the week a couple of weeks before. I'm probably completely wrong, but I seem to remember that <coughs> my parents did get B Sky B or whatever it was at the time though. So <clears throat> I wasn't living with them at the time. And I they didn't know how to set the video recorder or couldn't or whatever. Well maybe it was just because it was the satellite. So to record the Doctor Who, my dad would have to get up at six AM. So it wasn't <laughs> And I was Yeah, no, but this is what I'm saying is I was already losing interest a bit. I think if he'd have been able to set the video recorder and I'd had a regular diet of Doctor Who during that period, I don't think my interest would have waned. But as it was, I would maybe once a year or something, I think perhaps, if I knew a particular story was coming up, I would ask him if he would make a special exception and record me something. Your poor dad had to get up at 6am to record Doctor Who for you. He did. But the thing is, my parents are the kind of people who get up early anyway, so... Actually, it didn't put him out that much. If you're anything like me, you wouldn't have trusted the time of record anyway. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> Especially in those days. 
Even these days, time of record's not infallible, but back in those days, blimey. Did you make him pause it through the adverts as well? Yeah, it depends how long the story <laughs> was, but uh, if it was a long story and it was a three-hour tape, I would. <laughs> no, don't be silly. Isn't it funny, though, in those days, of repeat, everyone used to complain about repeats, didn't they? It's the one programme you wanted them to repeat. Yeah, yeah, and, and they would never put it on on the BBC. After, no. after the Monsters... Doctor Who and the Monsters, they just called it that, I think. After that, it was a long time before there were any more repeats. Quite late on, there was like the Spearhead from Space was shown, and uh, wasn't it? Well, they in this is in the 90s now, yeah, we're talking. Yeah. It was after the series, they would occasionally because Doctor Who was quite expensive to repeat, I think. Uh, the Demon show, they showed, yeah, they? yeah, they on BBC Two, didn't they? And they had a couple of they had a couple of short seasons where they show a few classics, mm. and they after Doctor Who night, they decided that they would start showing them from the start of Colour and just show them all in order. They said right, the BBC said right, BBC said right, we'll do it. We keep getting asked to do this, and we never have done. Let's just do it because I think they'd been having a success with Thunderbirds. So they said, right, let's put Doctor Who on from the start of colour, from the start of John Pertwee, and show the lot in order. Just every weeknight there'll be a Doctor Who episode or whatever it was. I can't remember how they configured it, but it would have been something like that. And um, their ratings were so low that by the time they showed the second story, they tailed off so much that they, after that, just showed Genesis of the Daleks and had done with it. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. By that point, fans have bought the VHS. And, you know, with the best will in the world, you were saying the other week, Simon, about the Star Wars films were on the other day, and you actually sat and watched them, even though you've got them on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. Yeah. But you've got access to them whenever you want. But you still sat and watched them because they were on telly. Yeah. But would you do that on a daily basis? So, or even on a weekly basis, because I can't remember how often. But I think it, it would be nice this year if they <coughs> stuck on a few, a few repeats. Episodes, yeah, yeah, but not the entire series, because we wouldn't watch it. You get if they put on a handful of repeats, you'd have the novelty value of being able to watch old Doctor Who on the telly. But I have to confess, I never do. When they showed Spearhead from Space after Doctor Who night, I never watched it because I had the video and I'd seen it however many times. Yeah, It might be a nice way of introducing new series fans to some of the classic stories. Possibly, but do you know, to my mind, they're either going to convert themselves. There's so much available on DVD and you can get them pretty cheap. If they're that much into Doctor Who that they want to find out what the classic oh, series yeah, is like... They're on daily motion aren't they on, on yeah Island. and stuff like that yes mm. netflix and what have you if, if people want to find old doctor who they're gonna if you put it on and it wouldn't be bbc2 it would be bbc4 right if you put it on bbc4 you're pretty much preaching to the converted people are either gonna watch it because they already like it or else they're gonna turn to another channel because we're the best will in the world you know, the new series and the classic series are a million miles away from one another in tone. 
So, you know, we did the quiz the other night, didn't we, Mark? <clears throat> we went to the university doctor who society were having a quiz and it wasn't restricted just to university students and we heard about it on Facebook, so Mark and I just Two decided Yeah. We did just you decided say who you were. Oh you did. <laughs> what do you mean? Well you do a podcast. Oh no 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 no. No no, no we no. were incognito just in case we were lynched. Yeah. But the, the thing was it, uh, we did we didn't win it. No. But the the point is the University Doctor Who Society and it was all twenty year olds and all the questions were new series. Oh, really? And most of them were to do with the fiction rather than behind the scenes. They weren't writing... There wasn't a single... Russ T. Davis and Stephen Moffat, I don't think either of them got mentioned once during the entire night, did they, Mark? It was all, all very New Who-centric. Yeah, no, what I'm saying is New Who-centric, but didn't mention Russell T. Davis or Stephen Moffat. They didn't mention behind-the-scenes no, no, stuff. No, 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 it was all very much... It was the, the fiction. The fiction, yeah, rather than... Yeah, it was, you know, in what episode did such-and-such such a doctor kiss such-and-such such a companion, that kind of stuff. Right. And that's fair enough, and it was quite good fun. We enjoyed yeah, ourselves. I but that's the point. These are the new series fans. Yeah. They're all 20 now because they started watching Doctor Who eight years ago when they were 12, right? But they are not going to have an interest in the old series because one of the reasons why we like the old series is because we are interested in what was going on behind the scenes yeah. and the history of the programme. And that's it, exactly. And the, the fact that we were their age when they started watching, when we were watching the classic series. It's and those probably were more interesting times because, in a way, Doctor Who was cheaply made, so the people who were making it had to cut so many corners and had to um, not use their imagination, but... In, to to a degree, that's it. But Doctor Who, being made back then, had so little money that in order to tell the stories you wanted to tell, you didn't just tell the stories like you do now, but you had to find a way to tell the stories. And half the battle is finding a way to tell the stories, and half your interest is seeing what the manner of the storytelling is. So, and these days, of course, they've got, even though... They're obviously still on a budget, and Stephen Moffat doesn't have what Russell T. Davis had, but it is still easier to get your story on the screen, so you don't have to worry about that stuff so much. So there's less variety in the quality of what you've managed to actually put in the pictures. Yeah, yeah. So people aren't that fussed anymore about... So I forget what we were saying the other time about um, where certain stories build up. A reputation because they're kind of lost in the midst of time. You know the 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 episodes are still missing. We know we're <clears> near as good as we think they would have been. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you do not get with a new series because everything is there from the off. Whenever you want to watch any of it, it's all there. And plus, what I was just saying about the fact that they've got enough money to put their stories on the screen. Yeah. Those stories that are missing, we'll never know what they were like because from one week to the next, we, you know, from what we've seen, yeah. from one week to the next, you've got the Space Museum next to the Time Meddler. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. From one week to the next, there's a massive difference in how successfully they managed to put a story on the screen. The Web Planet next to the Crusade. You know, perfect example. But these days you don't have that variety in the quality. So... 
The point being, those 1960s stories, we might think Fury from the Deep was probably wonderful, and somebody who was six when it was on, who can remember it, will say, oh, it was wonderful. You can't trust their judgment if they were six. It may have been another space museum. You know, it may have been another web planet. Yeah, I'm exaggerating. But... I loved that when I was a kid. I loved that story. And now? Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> not the same, is it? Public toilets, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it is, absolutely. And that's what they had to do just to get it on the screen in those days. And that's one of the things, you know, Jonathan Turner and the memory cheats. And, and to a certain extent, he was right. Memory does cheat. When I first bought the VHS of, I think the first, I think I got Revenge of the Cybermen, Death to the Daleks and Day of the Daleks pretty much at the same time. Wouldn't have been exactly the same time, but they'd have all been quite close to one another. And when I got those three stories, I was absolutely shocked when I played the first one. Because, you know, in my head, having read that book over and over, I was expecting something of the quality, not of Star Wars, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't expecting video and polystyrene <laughs> sets and things like that. I wasn't expecting the bit where Sarah Jane goes to the city where it'd be this tiny little set of a wall where all the bits where she puts her hand and it starts glowing. You can see the bit that's about to start glowing before it starts yeah. glowing. You, know, you can see the light bulbs well, hidden in the wall. You know, ridiculous. When the VHS video started coming out, Revenge of the Sidemen, it was going for like, was it going for about 50, 60 quid a copy because it was only red <clears> or something? Oh, no, that was the standard back in those days. Right. When VHS first happened... There was no sell-through market. Yeah. There and um, I mean, this is probably unimaginable in this day and age. But VHSs they used to retail at eighty quid because they would sell them only into the rental market. Yeah. And a shop would buy a VHS tape for eighty quid and then rent it out one hundred and twenty times yeah. at two quid a pop and make two hundred and forty. <laughs> so you've made your markup. You know, you've made your two-thirds. So, because tapes were standard 80 quid, when some of these shops began to sell them, they were selling them at the same price because nobody knew any different. That's just how much they were. They were 80 quid. Just remember convincing <coughs> my friend who had a rental video account, which we didn't. I don't even know whether we had a video there. I don't think we got a video <coughs> till Christmas of 85, hmm. I think. Um, and I persuaded him to rent out Revenge of the Cybermen and sat down to watch it, and it was just... An eye-opener. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think we lasted it, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, obviously, if I'd just been sat there in the room on my own, I would have lasted it, but I was with someone who wasn't a great fan, and he just said, this is rubbish, I can't stand this. It might have helped that I was a little bit younger, but um, that was the first one I got on VHS, and I just it repeatedly and loved it. Yeah, well, that was the funny thing. I think the, whatever the first one was, whether it was Death of the Daleks or Revenge of the Cybermen, must have been Revenge of the Cybermen, and it was a shock to see it. But then probably because I'd spent so much money on it, and definitely because I had so few tapes to watch, I would have played it again, and you get past it yeah. on your second viewing, and then you get used to it, and then you kind of not look forward to it but you're so used to it you don't even yeah. really notice it anymore and that's when the good stuff starts to come out 
But it was definitely a shock. Definitely a shock. I had the 60-minute brain in Morbius as well. Oh, yeah. I cursed that I sold that. I'd really like a copy of that now. Did you ever think I've got it? Got the 60-minute brain in Morbius. I'll bring it next week. 50p? If I <laughs> I'm trying to think where it is. It's in the loft somewhere. We're not doing bartering here on the show. Welcome to Blue Box Swap Shop. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, oh, I tell you what. I will reveal here, as soon as I've talked about this, and no, I can't because it's in the book. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. edit this out. No, not necessarily. Yes. No, I mentioned in the new You and Who book, which of course isn't out for another six weeks or something, not sure exactly, um, two months. Yeah, no, not for another two months or so. Um, now, in one of my essays, I talk about the Target books or mention the Target books, and I mention the fact that there is one Target book that I've never read. Oh. And Chris, Brian, my other editor, because we're doing one volume each, mm. he read that and he said to me, so what was the Target book that you've never read? And I said to him, I'm not telling you. Right. I think he asked me in a public place, and I said, I'm not going to say it. Or whatever. I can't remember exactly the circumstance, but somehow it came up. Should I? Or should I keep it a secret? Should I keep it a mystery rather rather than know, a secret? I don't know, it depends. Is it a shocker? No, maybe, I suppose, in a way. Is it a case you haven't got a copy and you want a copy? No, 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 it's not <laughs> that. <laughs> maybe you should save it till next week. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. All right, then. Shall we call it a night? Because Mark's been asleep for the last hour. Yep. <clears throat> okay. Is there the potential for us? Are we going to record an episode without you next time, JR? Pardon? Are we going to record an episode without you next week, JR? Well, not if you want me to tell you what target book it was. <laughs> there is an email address. Pardon? <laughs> oh, people can email in and ask me in person. No, you can email in which story it was, and then we'll just read it out. Oh, so you want me to email to the email address that I have access to? <laughs> that would be brilliant. Even Stoff and, even Stoff and Miffet couldn't do that. Uh-huh. Who's Stoff and Miffet? I have no idea. Uh, whatever. Stephen Muppet? No, even he couldn't no. manage that. No, no I... Time to go. Yes, definitely. But, uh, oh, before we do, I haven't even picked up my piece of paper with the emails on. That's very remiss of me. We do. <clears throat> we did get an email from Suki Kark. Hey, Suki. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm not entirely sure why he sent this email. It's been so long ago because we were going to do this. <laughs> no, we were going to do this episode way before Christmas, and then I think it was. In fact, I think it was way, way, way before Christmas. I think it was when they showed Asylum of the Daleks. And it got bumped because the series came on sooner than we expected or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we never got back round to it. So this email's been sitting. So, Suki, you will not remember writing this. And I can't remember what the circumstance was, but I don't think this email was for this episode, but I told him I'd keep it for this episode, not realising it was going to be four months later. He says, JNT, the initials bring a warm glow of memories. His era was the one I grew up with. 
I was 10 when he took over. I got into Doctor Who through the Target novels. So before 1980, I didn't watch much Doctor Who, but from The Keeper of Traken onwards, I only missed one episode. Time Flight episode 2 due to homework. On, yeah, it could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> Until its cancellation. From Trial of the Time Lords onwards, everything was recorded as we had just bought our first video recorder. Snap. We've not brought up video. That was the other thing we should have brought up. Um, very quickly then, what was the first story you ever recorded on video? I think it was Trial of the Time Lord. Mark? I think it was Attack of the Cybermen. Really? And uh, for me, I think it was Warriors of the Deep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll beat a Mac, so I never really got much benefit from it. And it was Warriors of the Deep, VHS, so though. I didn't get much benefit from that either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we just bought our first video recorder, most of those videotapes still exist in slowly decaying condition, but alas, no VHS player to watch them on. Interesting story. When <clears throat> they showed season 26, um... Season 26 famously was held amongst fans as not having any television trailers. It was one of it was shown at I think half past 7 7:35 on Wednesday nights. Right. But Battlefield on Monday night at 7 o'clock was a trailer Wednesday at 7:35 Doctor Who back. Tuesday same time Tomorrow night at 7.35, Doctor Who's back. So on the Wednesday night, I was prepared for it, had my video recorder set, and recorded the trailer that said Battlefield tonight at 7.35. And I got it. And I didn't discover, because you know I didn't come on the internet till 2008. I didn't discover... <laughs> oh, you can laugh. I didn't discover till after 2008 that I'd come on the internet and this was after the Battlefield DVD was released, without the trailer on it, that I am apparently the only person on the planet who has a copy of this trailer. Right. So that was kind of a funny story, but too late for it to go on the DVD. I tell you what, I think I have got a VHS somewhere, is um, Dimensions in Time. Oh, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have got Dimensions in oh, Time. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not saying I'm special, I'm just saying that's what I've got on VHS, because I was a... <laughs> huge Pet Shop Boys fan and they of course it was all the 3D thing and they did a performance in the studio and I've got that recorded on the same tape so so you recorded it for the Pet Shop Boys and just accidentally happened to get Doctor Who well, no. have you got both episodes yeah yeah oh no no yeah so I obviously specially recorded the same <clears> episode <throat> hugely disappointed obviously sorry stating the obvious there pretty much you wanted Big Ron to be the one to come and save them Sickening in every shape and form. Back to Suki. So, <clears throat> so everything after he's got his VHS recorder, so everything was watched a number of times, much to the annoyance of my siblings, but because I was the eldest, I could pick and choose what we watched. As a 10 year old, all of Doctor Who was exciting and strange, but as you got older, you can understand more of the subtleties of writing and acting. JT's era for me started out as exciting but slowly became boring. There were high points within most episodes, but in general, I wanted to watch it because I'd always watched it. It had become a ritual. There were episodes that left lasting memories, Earthshock Part 4, The Visitation Part 4, The Five Doctors, and so on. But there were whole stories where I don't have much memory of at all. Time Flight, Frontios. Not that the stories were bad, but just because at the time I didn't find them interesting. And then he says, okay, well, Time Flight 
was bad. <laughs> These stories were only watched once until I bought the video releases, so I only had the books to fall back onto, and they were much more exciting. Again, not all, but most. After the purchase of the video recorder, stories were watched episode by episode, and then once completed, all four or two episodes were watched in one go. And this is when you can tell if the stories were any good. This was the start of the home video era, and before this episode, the and before this, episodes were seen once and once only, barring repeats. Which, by the way, is how they get away with Guy Crayford taking off his eye patch in Android Invasion, as we spoke about the other day. Uh, JNT's first few series were shown to make an impact for one week each week to get the viewers. Each week something would happen that could be discussed in the playground the following day but would be forgotten by the end of next week. I would remember things and speak to other people about an episode that was shown two weeks earlier and they couldn't remember it. The videotapes that I recorded the episodes on, I can tell what I had watched a number of times and others which I might have only watched once or twice. If the story was good, you would watch it again and again. Now that was the thing with VHS, if you watch something a lot, it deteriorated yeah. pretty quickly. Well, thank you, Suki. Um, one more email from Steve from Manchester. Dear Blue Box Podcast, lots of long-running episodes can grow stale with the same format week after week. So, when discussing the forthcoming series in 2013, it was an act of genius to completely reboot the Blue Box podcast format into one where Lee, Mark and Simon all get a word in edgeways. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> you Thanks, bastard. Had <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> to be fair, tonight's show has been exactly the same. But that's not my fault. Lee didn't show up and neither did Mark. Harsh but fair. I absolutely agree, Steve carries on, that the new Cyberman suits look a great improvement on the previous design where the whole raison d'etre of the cyber race seemed to be to stomp around very noisily. Uh, JR's fantasy of the classic Doctors ageing in a Time Lord prison was very tempting, but I think that scooping them out of their time frame sounds a bit too much like the Five Doctors to be likely. And to be fair, I didn't think it was likely. I just thought it was an example of how you could do that story, really. I'm still hoping vainly that, instead of doing some cliched multi-doctor orgasma fest, they choose to mark the 50th anniversary by simply doing a very good story. Do something on the scale of The Empty Child and with the plotting of Blink and all the latter-day Richard Herndles can go hang for all I care. <laughs> Regards, Steve. <laughs> oh, you know what, though? I, I usually agree with a lot of what Steve says, but I completely disagree with that because you can do an episode that has the scale of The Empty Child and the plotting of Blink every week. Mm. Or you should be aiming to do that every week. Nobody sits down and writes a Doctor Who story and says, "Right, I'm going to write something run of the mill." Everybody sits I down think the and point says, he's "Making is, is <clears throat> to not ha to just have a great story, something that's not too vacuous, and just relies on the anniversary to kind of fill it and pad it out." Just well, this is perhaps a topic for another time. Yeah. But and also, oddly enough, this is what I'm writing for my column next month. So let's not talk about that now, I guess. Let's crack on with the drawing as well. Yes, you better had to. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that was then our episode on revisiting Sons Lee and yeah. Sons Mark. So basically that was my and si mine and Simon's episode on revisiting. <clears throat> uh, and uh, next time I think we're going to do... 
Well, the next two episodes, in whatever order they come out, will be season 10 and The Master. Okay. The Master, you mean? You can, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was JR. I wasn't Mark. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. I'm shaking my booty. Okay, the very last Target book, insofar as I'm aware, that came out, uh, because I'd been losing interest, but had been keeping up with reading them, and I bought them all up until this one point, and I think for some reason when this one came out, I think I perhaps just didn't have enough money that week, and because if you don't buy it on the week of purchase, then all of a sudden it seems less essential, doesn't it? Mm. And it went for another week, and then it went for a month, and then it went for a year, and I never picked it up. And then, of course, it's out of print. And not having got the internet till 2008, I picked it up in 2008 from eBay. And it probably cost me eight times the cover price. But finally, I picked it up because it was the only one I never had. And, of course, because it was so much later, never got around to reading it. So do you want to try and guess what it was, the well, very last one? One of the last ones was. And when you asked me during the episode, would it be a shock? And in a way it would, because a lot of people feel the Sylvester McCoy stories, the novelizations, were A, a renaissance for Target books, and B, what then led into the new adventures. So it is one of the ones that is famously a book that would have inspired the new adventures, partly also because of the author. So, or because of the authors, I should say, uh, and that should be your final clue. Well, the no, 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 no. At the time of the Rani was novelised, this is a book that has got two authors that were very famously part of the early days of the New Adventures, and it's a story that has inspired part of the thinking behind the New Adventures, and it is a novel that also has a sequel stroke prequel by paul cornell in the bbc ghostlight no two authors not two authors named on the cover two authors for the story all right in a way okay ben aronovich wrote the script what remembrance ben aronovich wrote the script and he was supposed to write the book but he was so far behind with it, this is why it was the last Target book, because it came out months after all the others. And in the end, Mark Platt ended up novelising it because Ben Aronovich just never finished it. And it's Battlefield. Oh, really? 
So there you go. So are you going to read it? Never. But they, well, maybe <laughs> one day. But there you go. There's the mystery revealed. Bed. Yeah, probably. There's yeah, your mystery. We'll be sat reading it to him, won't we? <laughs> There's your mystery revealed. But also at the same time, an interesting nugget of trivia about Ben Aronovich and Target. In fact, that you know, they, I think in between whatever the previous Target book was and Battlefield coming out, they actually novelized something like the Pescatons and something else as well that hadn't been planned to come out till a long time afterwards because Battlefield was delayed so much. Bloody Benaronovich. He had the same problem with the new adventures, his last new adventure, which was So Vile a Sin. Ended up with a co-author because he never finished it. Mm. And that was because the new adventures were supposed to run in an order, weren't they? Oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the new adventures terribly greatly goes on about the chronology all the time doesn't it right there's a chronology for the new adventures and the second to last new adventure actually is the sixth to last book because it was a Ben Aronovich and he didn't finish it and it had to be delayed by four months uh, by which time the three books that were supposed to come after it had already come out mm. Mm. and as such it's a lot rarer than it really should be they're really quite hard to get hold of aren't they new adventures I've got a few only the last three alright yeah Apart from the last three, the first three or four years of the New Adventures are ten a penny. Mm. The last year of New Adventures are fairly rare. The last three New Adventures are ridiculously rare. Because when the BBC took the rights back, anything that hadn't been sold was pulped. So the last three New Adventures were only on sale for a couple of months and then they were gone. Mm. Whereas the first few years of new adventures weren't just on sale for all that time they went into reprints and stuff so you can get the early ones ten a penny and the last year's worth sold well enough that they're worth a bit but not a great amount and just the last handful ridiculous prizes lung barrow so violus in and the dying days those are the three all right okay and from the just the sister publications were the missing adventures oh yeah, yeah. and the last two or three of those which are the well-mannered war is it the well-mannered war yes the well-mannered war is the last one and what's the master one the dark path yeah that's really good yeah the dark path and the well-mannered war those are the two really expensive the missing dark adventures path's really good um, only heard it described on the Doctor Who Book Club podcast. Oh, that's very good. You leap in with, oh yeah, the Dark Path, that's really good, but I've never read it. <laughs> that's your best contribution all night, Mark. Thank you very much. I'm just hoping that Simon remembers to put this in the Easter. Uh, well, <laughs> tell you what, though, I was going about the artwork. Some of the artwork on The Missing Adventure was just truly, truly awful. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to name them. I tell you what, rude. there is a new adventure, Cold Fusion. Right, yeah, I know the name. And another one, is it Just War? A Just War, I've got that, yeah. Might be. Is that the one with the Nazis? On the front? Yeah. By Lance Parkin? Yeah. Yeah. Those two go for crazy prices as well. Really? Oh, That's... you only, your ears prick up when you hear money. Really? No. Wait, it's... I can't believe it. I was listening back. Can you call yourself a As if I'm going to sell them. It's just nice to know that you've managed How to much? pick up something I was for 20p, listening which back. I had. I was listening back to our toys podcast the other day, and we're all quite happily chatting away about toys, and then we start talking about Cyberman helmets, 
and uh, all of a sudden Simon <laughs> Simon had been quiet for the last ten minutes. Is that worth something? Yeah, oh, not even is that worth something. It's like this. Is that worth something? Is it? Is that worth something? <laughs> <laughs> You're embarrassing. Oh no! That's... You should. They should just be for the pride of having Doctor Who stuff. But here's the thing: those two books, Cold Fusion, uh, seems to always go for a fortune. Because I think it's the first multi-doctor one or something. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I think it's the first multi-doctor missing adventure. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But I don't know why that would make it rarer. Because it presumably was produced in the same numbers as all the others from that period. So why that should go for a fortune, I don't know. The other one, what did I say it was? Just War, or whatever it is. Yeah. Sometimes goes for a lot, and sometimes doesn't. I picked it up for eight quid. And at the same time, uh, it sold the same week for 60 quid on eBay. So it was like eight quid, 60 quid, yeah. same week. Yeah. So I could never get my head around that. And again, that's from the middle of the range, so there's, it's not like it's in a short number or anything. Unless there's some particular reason that I don't know about. It's a bit like that with the annuals. I've tried to collect all the annuals. Patrick Troughton ones, just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, no. I get the William Hartnell ones. You can pick them up anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've got an almost mint copy of the the first one, and I know that's quite common anyway. But yeah, but that's I the think thing. The, like twenty quid or something. And it was it's like beautiful. the first Doctor Who weekly, and like I was saying about the new adventures, the first ones they kind of do, they're kind of a bit too optimistic about how many they're going to sell, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, end up doing too many, and so they're quite easy to get hold of. Mm. It's always the way, apart from with certain things, that, you know, like a band's first single will be rarer because they're not famous. Yeah, but something like The New Adventures and Doctor Who Weekly and the early Target books, Ten a Penny, mm. you know, they're printed in such huge numbers that they're just never going to be rare. Whereas some of those later targets as well go for, there's just two or three books. I think the ones they particularly mention are The Wheel in Space, I think, and maybe Fury from the Deep, but I don't think so, actually, thinking no, about I, it. I managed to pick that up as well at the car boot. Yeah, I think, Wheel in, I think The Wheel in Space is the one that usually gets mentioned. It doesn't go for a huge amount. What are the ones that never got... Serial, uh, novelized. It's the Douglas Adams ones. Adams ones yeah. And the so Eric Sayward ones. Oh, the right. latter Eric Sayward ones, pardon? Yeah, the Visitation and the Earthshock. The Visitation and Earthshock did because he did those himself. But then when he had the falling out... Earthshock was Michael, wasn't it? Oh, no, of course it was. It was. That's because he did the Visitation himself because that was before he had all his script editor duties. Right. And then when he got his script editor duties, he said he couldn't do Earthshock, and so he and Marta did it. And then by the time it would have come to um, Revelation and Resurrection of the Daleks, A, he'd probably had his falling out by then, and B, because the Daleks were in, the Terranation estate gets a bigger percentage, so the person who writes the target novel for the Dalek books gets less. And Eric Sayward said, I'm not taking less. And so Reve Revelation and Resurrection never got novelised. Although there keeps being rumours that there's going to be an audio version of a novel of Resurrection. 
Oh. I don't know if this is true, but I think something like Amazon listed it. And it's one of these pre-listings like months and months and months and months in advance of when it's due to come out. And so nobody's quite sure, is Eric Sayward going to actually novelise it mm. for just an audio book or what? Nobody really quite knows, I think. Mm. I mean, I don't keep up with these threads, mm. so that was the last I heard. Although Gareth Roberts, he certainly expressed an interest, hasn't he, in doing City of Death? Did you see the, um, the artwork that Clayton Hickman did for Shardo that never got used? Gareth Roberts' version of Shardo. Oh, the Target book. Yeah, one. it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the um, on the BBC website? They did, you know, the new adventures and the missing adventures. Actually, not the new adventures. It might have been some of both, but the <clears throat> they they came out on Virgin, right? Yeah. Under license from the BBC, mm. and then BBC did it in their own in-house books range, BBC Books, mm. and then at some point after that. I think it's Ebury bought Virgin and the BBC uh, the way it works sometimes is that the BBC publish their books but actually they get actually made and distributed by another company like Big Finish do with the audios yeah. they do audio go now well BBC books are also Ebury so now Virgin and BBC books are both under the same umbrella so the BBC were able to get the rights to put the missing adventures and the new adventures that were especially rare up on the website. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they did Target novel covers for The Well-Mannered War and some of the other ones. Yeah. So somewhere up on the website, I don't know if it's still there because they took them down after a while, but somewhere out in cyberspace you can find Target-style covers for some of those later... I'm sure... My memory's cheating. Didn't they have um, somebody put up some Target covers for the new series stories as well? Oh, just that they've done themselves? Yeah. Probably, yeah. I've Very not seen them, but I don't know. I think I've seen a few, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're quite nice. I mean, that's quite a nice idea. Changing the names again. Yeah. Doctor Who and The Rose. (laughs) 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 But they also, um, BBC Now, and this is on an author by author thing, because I'm not sure if it was different from them putting it up on the website and they had the rights to do that because it's cyberspace or something, but to actually reprint the books, they actually have to go back to the authors and get the authors' individual permissions for the books. So they went and talked to two authors, which I think was Lance Parkin and Kate Allman, and now you can get Lance Parkin and Kate Allman's books from the Virgin range on print-on-demand, which would include actually Just War and Cold Fusion, wouldn't it? So they're probably not as valuable as they would have been at one point. But they probably still are because they're the Virgin originals and the BBC reprints will have the BBC logo on it. So those books are actually now in print, but on a print-on-demand thing. Am I right in thinking that each of the, each time each of these um, ranges started and finished, they did actually carry on the chronology of it? Well, each range had its own chronology. Right. But they didn't have anything to do with the next range. No, when the Eight Doctor books started with the BBC, they started from scratch. Right. From the TV movie and then formed their own chronology. Well, I don't know why I'm talking about this like I have any authority. I've never read any of these books. <laughs> I've read probably about... 
dozen, if that, maybe eight books out of the whole lot. Yeah. <clears throat> Not that I didn't especially enjoy them, but obviously I just didn't buy them at the time. And then I just, you know, picked them up a would few you years. Would write one? Would I write one? Yeah, if you were asked. Oh, God, of course I would if I was asked. It's not likely that people are going to come knocking on my door and asking me to write one. Right, okay, and you, me and Simon are the uh, the publishers. You have to pitch your, uh, your blurb for your story. Well, I'm not going to do that in case I ever have to. or in case i ever use the plot elsewhere i do have two plots that i kind of have in mind not because i think i'll ever get chosen to write a big finish or a bbc book or something but i have two but you know if you write and you like doctor who you will always have your doctor who story in your mind right Mm. so i have two plots in my mind and <laughs> I just don't want to repeat them because obviously at some point I might use them elsewhere. Yeah. Because you can always, it doesn't have to be Doctor Who. You can use a plot and just use it as a story somewhere else. And I do write, so it's possible that at some point I might write them. So I'm not just going to say what they are. I just, I think back to, um, <clears throat> uh, oh God, which program was it where Ben Aronovich at the end was they were saying well, how would you what would you do with if you wrote the last episode and he said oh, I'd have to kill him no oh, really that would have been one of the DVD extras maybe no no it was definitely on television it wasn't the 30 years it was a different one anyway I'm just the temptation must be there to try and do something major with the series and I always think it's a little bit arrogant to do that neither am I a major no not remotely I just think it's more fascinating to do something interesting with it, to kind of give uh, another Plus layer. these days, unless you're the showrunner, you're not going to get the opportunity to do something major. No. So it's not even worth thinking about what you do that was major. Both of my stories are completely self-contained, completely tellable without the Doctor. Who wrote Death Comes to Time? Now we're on the spot. Well, so they did actually kill him, didn't they? Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. It wasn't anybody who'd written before or since, I'm pretty sure. No. I don't think so. I think it was like the radio producer himself, who was a fan of Doctor Who. Because right. there's quite I'm a story. A fan, it's quite, uh, well, no, but then you think if this is going to be the last story that ever happens. Yeah. Or alternately, I mean, by the time Death Comes to Time came on, right? Sylvester McCoy hadn't been the Doctor for 10 years. Yeah. Right? So it wasn't like he was the current doctor even because Paul McGann had happened in the meantime. So Sylvester McCoy was a past doctor. So even if they got the chance to do another web drama like Death Comes to Time, they could just do another doctor, a different doctor. So it doesn't matter that they killed him. And even if they want to do Sylvester McCoy, you just set it before you kill him. So I don't think it was... I mean, obviously it's a big deal that they killed him, but I don't think it was quite as big a deal... As you could perhaps make it be if you wanted it to be. No, exactly. But there's a funny story about Death Comes Time because they got the funding and got the cast together and the script together and recorded the first episode way before they did any of the others. They recorded the first episode as a test, like a pilot. Mm. And I think they even put it on the radio, possibly up on the internet, but I think on the radio. 
as a pilot before they'd even written the rest of the story. So I'm not entire. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but it's something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So the rest of Death Comes to Time, and obviously they would have repeated that episode when they, you know, showed the rest of. But the rest of Death Comes to Time didn't come till a long time later. Very bizarre. Right now, the Easter egg's nearly as long as the episode. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to get a really weird feeling looking at their MP3 player as the music comes on and they go to flick to the next thing and they can still see third of the bars white (laughs) (laughs) right we will call it a night i'm not signing off again no that's it you just press stop okay ta-da for now